Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to our brand new podcast, Caffeine and Canines, where we're going to monthly, as best we can, share a coffee, pick a topic uh, to do with dogs, and discuss it. So this week, we're going to look at uh, puppies. I think it's prevalent at the moment for two reasons. One, um, it's almost New Year's Eve. It's almost 2022. and We've got a lot of Christmas puppies coming in. And two... My co-host here, Ian Kirk, has gone and got himself a puppy. Something he told me he'd never do, but he has. <laughs> so, um, Not only that, but I said I would never get a Christmas puppy. I'd never get a Christmas puppy. And it's a French bulldog puppy of all puppies. I tried to get him to get a proper dog, like a German Shepherd, but he refused. So here we are. We've gone and got a Frenchie. Um, Kirky, how's it going? You've got your puppy New uh, Christmas Eve. Uh, Christmas Day in the end. Christmas Due Day. To some logistical issues. In the end. So, yeah. very cliche indeed. It couldn't be more cliche. Couldn't be more cliche. How's it gone so far? We're now currently on the 29th of December, so you've five um, days in, something like this. Yeah, yeah well, uh, four nights in. She doesn't do that much. She's a nine-week-old puppy. Yep. Um, she had a little bit of an upset stomach, which... It's probably worth addressing, like it's something you might you might expect when you obviously you initially take the puppy away from litter, mom, etc., etc. It's a, quite a stressful experience. Yep. So she had a little bit of the runs um, for maybe sixteen hours, twenty four hours or so. Yep. That all seems fixed up. She's had a health check today. Um, a couple of little bits we're kind of struggling with at the moment, but we're going to address those within this, I think, anyway, with some questions that are very close to. Yeah. To the bone in, in that respect. So we've put out on our mailing list um, the opportunity to, for folk to ask questions. We've also put it on our social media. So we've compiled a list of questions here. Some were overly specific, which we'll leave out because if we want to cover as, um, as many of our audience as possible with the questions. Um, there is one question that was prevalent in, uh, throughout both and we'll leave that to last and that will be puppy biting. So we'll come back, we'll circle back to that. Um, so we have got a couple of questions here what have we got first okay my dog has been off the lead and she has been great she is now 16 weeks however the last two times she has run away from me and has been sat on the doorstep and then again at the local shop the second time now I'm scared to let her off again any advice first thoughts on that Kirky <laughs> uh, without being too cutting don't lay off in the first place yeah um Dogs that aren't automatically loaded with commands, like recall commands, I assume that's kind of getting at. Yep. Um, so it's something you do have to teach. When yep. they're younger, obviously, they've got a decent social drive, so they'll kind of hang around with you a little bit anyway. Yep. But they don't actually know an official recall, would nope. be my kind of initial take on it. Yeah, so I would agree with all everything you've just said. I think puppies give us a false sense of security. Yeah. They naturally come with a sense of dependency. They're a little bit apprehensive about the world around them. They will follow you nice and close. But as soon as they find value elsewhere, or worse, they get spooked, they're probably going to bolt, and that's probably what's happened here. So for me, 16 weeks is far too young to be letting a dog off a lead. You want to be using a long line or, dare I say it, a flexi lead until you have a solidified recall command um, and you have off-lead control of that dog. So... From my experience, people have brought me puppies or young adult dogs at six, seven months, and they always say the same thing. 
my dog was great off a lead until, and it's usually the six, seven month mark. Yeah. Because that's when they've got a little bit more confident. They've got a little bit braver. They start exploring the big world. They find reinforcement elsewhere. And suddenly we go, ooh, well, my dog was never off lead trained at all. It just felt like it needed a hug me because it wasn't sure about the world around it. But like I said, when the dog gets more confident, they start exploring, they find value elsewhere, and sooner rather than later, we go out of the picture. So back onto the long line, lots of engagement work, teacher recall, yada, 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 but stop letting that puppy off a lead because I guarantee this second time there will be a third time and you're probably, unfortunately, a little bit back now. Um, but that's fine. Start from scratch. Te- treat her like she's 12 weeks old again and build back up. Anything else to comment on that? It's probably worth addressing why... And even you get this even with adult dogs, why people think the dog needs to be off the lead necessarily. Yeah. And it's probably good in terms of like, yes, they can explore more, but you do, you are, you're going to, it's a ticking time bomb in terms of running into these problems. And you can probably tick most boxes that a dog needs with a long line or a long flexi or whatever. Yeah. Ab- yeah, absolutely. What What's a t- 20 foot, 30 foot long line trailing on a puppy? You know, how much is it going to inhibit their fulfillment of not running around? And we get this a lot with gun dogs and pointers yeah. and Vieslers. Owners <laughs> oh, are yeah. adamant these dogs are to be let off a lead. But it takes one ignored recall. It takes one kind of wrong thing to go... Or it takes one thing to go wrong. And then eventually, kind of, yeah, worst case scenario, your dog goes and runs off to the wrong dog, gets hit by a car, yada, yada, yada. Best case scenario is your dog's recall gets weaker. So put your dog on a long line, teach a solid recall, and go from there. Yeah. Next question, what is it? <clears throat> How do I put a harness on or a collar on my fresh French Bulldog puppy without getting bit? Um So, I would say naturally the lead is a tool which inhibits behavior. It stops things. Yeah, you can't run away. Uh, you can't run out the door. Um, you can't do this this and this you know it's a physical barrier so therefore a puppy initially isn't going to enjoy having these things on because they're going to figure out very quickly that it's something that stops them doing what they want so if i was introducing a lead or collar to a puppy i would just be introducing it at short spells typically around feeding time and and then back off typically i would just bring i would put that lead on when I'm associating it with something the dog wants to do. But whereas we're in a world of reactive puppy owners at the moment, they're going to use the lead when they want to stop their dog doing something. But we want to create a positive response to that lead. So around food time, around play time, walkies is a given. Um, And then other than that, I would be using it every time or a lot of the time when my dog comes out the crate. So they start seeing the lead as as instead of an inhibitor to freedom, but as a uh, an access pathway, to freedom, yeah. yeah. yeah for sure. um, Do you have anything on that? Yeah, so like if someone has already got <laughs> got the men's themselves uh, a tangle of trying to get it on and getting bitten, is yeah. there anything they can do acutely to address that in that moment? In the moment, because if the if it's come become habitual and that's yeah. always what the puppy does, yeah. and it already knows that means restriction of yeah. X Y Z. It's probably going to be a little process, isn't it, until we can reverse that by there's, doing what you've just said. There's definitely things they shouldn't do. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so if the picture is the dog is biting you and you're looking like this, come on, Lola, get the lead on, and, and you're flailing your arms around as well and you're kind of making a game out of it, 
or you're chasing the dog out of the living room. So first things first, put the puppy in the crate. Use your crate as somewhere that they can't run away and find reinforcement. Make everything nice and calm as best as you can. Um, you, you, what you don't want to do is be reinforcing that kind of the game the dog is in or the contest that the dog is in where they're saying, no, I don't want that bloody, bloody thing on me by running around and biting you and things like this. All very calm, all very kind of uh, straight to the point with that sort of thing. But yeah, you don't want to be... Uh, yeah, creating a game out of it because I can imagine how that that picture is looking, yeah, yeah, and there's yeah. a lot of flailing around. There's a lot of high voice. There's a lot of kind of everything's all right. You can do it, and the dog's just kind of taking jumps at you. So probably you need to calm everything down, take it back a step, do a bit of counter conditioning around feeding time and things like that. But that would be my advice on that. Make sure I keep my voice nice and low pitch. When keep I'm your voice nice and low. I know when, when you're I'm like getting with your, with your high voice. <laughs> what else have we got? Next question is, shall I use a crate or a pen with my puppy? Which is best? Um, so for me, they're two different jobs. My crate is my puppy's rest area. My pen I'm going to use when I want to give my puppy free time, but limit of or create a damage limitation effect. Yeah. Yeah. So there's not so much my... If I fill my pen with things my puppy is allowed to interact with and they can't they cannot possibly pick up bad habits so i wouldn't sleep my puppy in the pen i would sleep and put my puppy to rest in the crate because of if there's too much opportunity if there's too much to do my puppy might not rest because if there's toys and shoes and things to play with yep. puppies like toddlers they need to be put to rest i would physically put my puppy in the crate um Pen time is when I'm sat on the sofa watching TV. I want my puppy to learn how to accommodate to the human lifestyle without getting anything wrong. I would put her chews in there, some maybe plush toys or whatever people want to do. Um, some water in there maybe, depending if you're kind of doing a uh, water schedule or whatever. But uh, for me, they're two different jobs. Crate is your nap time, your rest time, and where you sleep overnight. Your pen is going to be where maybe some of your chew toys are and things like this, so you can learn to potter around. But uh, the pen is essentially a damage limitation tool. How do you feel about that? Exactly the same, but also from the flip side point of view, <laughs> we've got a multi-dog household. Yeah. And I'm not concerned that my other dogs are going to try and intentionally harm her. Yeah. But obviously the size difference is... Course. huge so he just kind of keeps her safe while they're pottering around as well yeah so he's kind of like yeah it keeps her from getting herself into trouble but then keeps her out of trouble with the multi dog household so. yeah yeah exactly a pen and, and crates and things like this are a really good tool if you are if you are introducing a puppy into a um a multi-dog household like you are um they can interact with each other or they can sniff yeah, each yeah. other and at least yeah. see each other but there's not really much that can go wrong when there's that big barrier in the way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Barrier's not that big, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> not for one of them. No. Um, but no, you understand, because she significantly sees things differently when there's a crate and a bit of a barrier. Yeah. She's had reactivity issues in the past. I think it makes You're on about your older dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes her a lot more comfortable, which yeah, is also nice. And just to touch on that, I think people rush into trying to make their new dogs best friends with their yeah. current dogs. Yeah, yeah. And I think you, you're going to experience problems there. So another question we had, which we can lead on to now, is uh, do you have any advice for litter mate issues? 
Um, so littermate issues, littermate syndrome typically um, comes uh, when you have two, although it's not exclusively this context, but when you have two dogs that are from the same litter um, that have grown up together because a silly breeder out there somewhere has gone and sold two dogs <laughs> from the same litter. Yeah, it's a big no-no. People shouldn't do it. But if you've gone and got yourself two dogs, well, you're there now, aren't you? So uh, littermate <laughs> syndromes or even introducing a puppy into a multi-dog household. I personally believe that that puppy should be tracked as a separate entity to your other dogs for as long as you possibly can. If you've got two puppies, train them separately, sleep them separately, sleep them in different rooms, walk them separately, play with them separately, everything separately until you are very confident that the relationship you have with those dogs far outweigh the relationship they have with one another. So that's not things you want to fall into because of when the dogs have such a strong relationship and you're not in that picture, there's a good chance then you might find they will contest for a resource and things like that. And that's where Littermate Syndrome comes in when they're fighting over the sofa and over food and over toys and things like this. So all that thing should be kept away from the dogs, presented when you say so, and they should have lots of, uh, well, what we would call crate and rotate time. So uh, this is for people introducing a puppy or uh, you've gone and got yourself two puppies everything separate for at least six months yeah so um yes you want them to interact but you want them to kind of coexist before anything else you don't want to think about making them best friends they just need to tolerate each other and things like that first if they're friends or if they do become friends or are going to become friends or not going to become friends there's not much you can do about that anyway (laughs) so you might as well get the dogs to just coexist and learn to appreciate each other's place and I think the way you do that is lots of separate, lots of separation, lots of segregation from one another until you are very confident that no issues are going to arise because of you're in control. Does that make sense? It was very comprehensive. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm cynical that people would do it when they've got two puppies because the logistics with that would be hard. But yes, yeah. <laughs> people won't do that. People will Should not take that, that advice do that. No, not. because of I have um, seen it before and the problems arise. They don't arise at 16 weeks. They don't arise no. at, at 20 weeks. They arise at eight months, nine months. Yep. The dogs come into season or the balls drop and we've got hormones <laughs> flying around. And that's when we have fights yeah. and we go all of a sudden. My worst case scenario I've ever seen of that is three dogs. Let's call them. Rex, Rover, and Fido. They were Staffies cross Sharpays. They were all males. And they all got. And they were all living in the same house in the same litter. Now that had escalated over 18 months so far that all they had to do was glance at one another before a full World War III would break out. But those puppies got on with each other like a house on fire until eight or nine months. And then suddenly they decided to think, right, who's running this show? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. And then, so three males. What's worse, they had the dad. (laughs) So they had the dad and then these three (laughs) 18-month-old cross-sharpes, staffies, and yeah, as you can imagine, we kind of said, we can't help you here no, yeah, because yeah, you're yeah. living in a bungalow. We've yeah. got three of these dogs. Unfortunately, we need to kind yeah. of figure out alternate arrangements. It's family logistics, dogs. not training. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> so um, that's worst case scenario. But yeah. I've seen countless people bring us puppies at seven, eight months. Yep. 
they're falling out over the smallest of things. But th- these seeds were planted early doors. I think so. you, you, you touched on it probably less so than the falling out part, but almost the hypersocial part that we've, we've seen with other dogs. Yeah. It doesn't sound as problematic, but it, I've seen it with my own too. So by hypersocial, you mean? In love with each other too much. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. in love with other dogs yeah. more than you or I for our own dogs. Yeah. Um, and the problems that causes, which is probably a topic for another a time, but people can want their dogs to be almost too good a mate. Yeah. And like I had the similar issue with my two whereby oh, we don't need to play with dad because yeah. we've got each other. So then all, you, all of a sudden you, you just leads on to other little problems. Yeah. If, you're, if your dog is achieving fulfillment with the, the other dog that you own yeah. and you then go and try and implement rules into your household, they're like, who are you? Who do you think you are setting rules in the house? Because if we don't get anything good out of you, because we've got each other for that, yeah. we'll yeah. set rules with each other. And if that bond is greater than the bond you have with your dog, you'll find it very difficult to find engagement with your dog, uh, to set rules with your dog, because of they're just you're just someone that occasionally tells yeah. them no. <laughs> yeah, just where they're really having cool. all the fun in the world with each other. So that's a difficult one. It's a poignant one, but um, yeah, probably one to touch on later on. What have we got now, mate? Uh, you kind of looking over that one. That was kind of cool, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so you've you've actually touched on this already. Should I start putting a collar and lead on in the house? Um, obviously, you kind of brushed on that with getting them used to having it being put on so you don't get bitten. Yeah. But is it worth doing it from a just a sensory point of view, getting them used to it being on? rather than just whacking it on and going outside and saying, come on, boy. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly right. People will put the collar and lead on the dog. When we go and do a puppy consult and things like that, and we recommend that the lead goes on the dog in the house, <laughs> people look at us like we've just slapped them in the face. And we're, worse, yeah. But what we do is we take this puppy that has only ever known the confines of their home or the breed, or your home or the breeder's home, we slap a piece of rope around their neck or we tie a restrictive harness on or whatever. We take them out into the big bad world and we expect them to be okay with that. Yeah. That's very good recipe to get your puppy to hate being on the lead and to have all sorts of lead-based issues later on. So yeah, as you know, we recommend you tie a lead and a collar around the puppy's uh, neck. You put a, a lightweight puppy line on, which yeah. the puppy yeah. can barely feel. But like you said, there is some sensory kind of um, they will feel that the, the lead is on them at that point, And then it's not a huge transition or a kind of freak out moment when they inevitably get put on the lead outside the house for a walk. So make that transition for your dog as easy as you possibly can by introducing that lead in the home as quick as you possibly can. But around moments where your dog would probably want uh, or around positive kind of things throughout the day yeah. such as playing food and like, already, and like we've touched yeah. on so yeah. yeah we don't need to talk about that again beautiful uh this is an interesting one <laughs> um what bits of training in inverted commas yeah. should be focused on between eight and 12 weeks <laughs> you you tell me what training is i suppose it depends on your definition doesn't yeah it? i mean i would argue that you are training the puppy for life just by them being involved with your social day-to-day yes um, my big point would be skills and behavior different. Yeah, 
So how many times do we get people bring us 12-week-old puppies and say, he knows sit, he mm. knows down, he knows paw, he knows wait, he knows stay. And our... Oh. Yeah. Paw gets and me. our answer's always the same. <laughs> What's paw used for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, if I were to get a puppy, all of that stuff would come six months and beyond. Yeah. Um, again, this is that bit of advice that people don't like listening to because they love getting their puppy doing new tricks for yeah. treats and cheese yeah. inside the kitchen. <laughs> but Jeez. really, your, your focus should be uh, environmental exposure and socialization for that puppy. Yeah. I've got four dogs, all of which had been socialized and exposed differently in their puppyhood. Um, I've got one dog that has had a, a clear lack of socialization and exposure in puppyhood. And then I have another dog which, who coincidentally had a very good uh, critical learning period or socialization period or imprinting period, whatever you want to call it. Now, how well I can train that the latter compared to uh, my other dog, Darla, that hasn't been socialized, it is absolutely polarized. So if I if we could give any advice to a new puppy owner is forget about paw, go and get your dog out, go and get your dog socialized, go and get your dog exposed to a plethora of environments. Don't fall into the trap where you're following the 15-minute rule and you can only go out your neighborhood and then your puppy hits 16 weeks, they fall out of their imprinting period and then you try and walk them in Roundhay Park or New Miller Dam, and then they freak out because they're exposed to all these novel things they've not seen during their imprinting period. Get your puppy out, get them exposed. Socialization should involve um, a number of different places. Um, there are obviously things you should avoid in that period, but back to the question in terms of training i wouldn't be starting any formal obedience or commands until the puppy is at least 5 months old um yeah. i would definitely Which be probably f- sounds late to a lot of people yeah but there's an argument like what does the dog even need to sit for yeah you're, ex- you're Free exactly for right life, doesn't yeah. it needs to not kill people yeah or other dogs yeah it, 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 essentially in in that in that puppy period of what's been outlined in the question here is eight to 12 weeks or eight to 16 weeks. That's how you're going to influence how your dog feels in adolescence and adulthood. And that should be a priority by doing sit and pour and things like that. You're not really making a, 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 you're not really making an effort to change how your dog feels. You're teaching your dog skills, and I know this is your one that you say a lot. Yeah, if your puppy knows lots of skills, that's great. But if they're absolutely shit scared of the postman or that ice cream truck that's passing along down the road, they're not going to sit anyway because of how they feel in that moment is terrified. So uh, don't worry about the tricks. Get your dog out. Hand feed your dog when you're outside and things like this. And make sure that going outside, you've got lots of engagement and you're making outside and certain things a positive experience. Don't worry about poor. Don't even worry about sit. Like you said, what? Yeah, all of our dog knows it, and it's part of our curriculum. <laughs> it is part of our curriculum. Certification. This is part of our cert- <laughs> certification, um, but it's 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 not absolutely necessary, especially at that age. So, um, work on engagement and making sure that you're the best thing in the world to your dog. You've got the right relationship, and your dog is environmentally exposed, and they're not freaking out. When they're faced with novel things. Beautiful. 
it probably is going to be worth. Um, so we're going to film that sort of work with your dog. Yep. And then we'll add it to our website or whatever we need to do. Yep. Um, but I think it's probably worth touching on what people think socialization is and what it's not. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think the average person thinks socialization is? I, well, more than average or more than should happen. The majority of people. Me the dog, me the dog, me the dog, me yep. the dog, me the dog, me the dog, me the dog, yep. me the dog, yep. and me another dog. Yeah. Um, <laughs> How many of the dogs that are brought to us with reactivity issues, or any dog that's brought to us, are hyper-social? Uh, more than... Oh, like, yeah, it's, I'd argue more than there is on the... Fearful like, side. Fearful side, yeah. You see, fearful side to diagnose as well, isn't it? Yeah. But usually it's all... Can I, can I say the word, the dirty word? You can say the dirty word. Goes to a dog walker. Yeah, the dog three walker. Three or four times a week. Yep. And then he just changed. Yeah. Because usually there's an innocuous, like, moment where, I don't know, they get hurt, they get nipped. Yeah. And all of a sudden, oh, dogs are terrible. Yeah. And so it's difficult. You can get a single event learning and then that's it. And it's very hard to then reverse. Yeah. If someone brings us a dog yep. and they are reactive, there's typically two reasons why they're reactive. And that is because of one, they're either hypersocial because of they have had too much free interaction with other dogs and they have found loads of value in other dogs through puppyhood, yep. through puppy heart parties and doggy daycares and play dates and things like this. Or the other side of things, they are fearful of dogs. And that usually comes from lack of exposure or some sort of trauma that has happened. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now, when you go on the the overzealous side when you're socializing your dog and then meeting every single dog and a lot of dogs and we're talking volume now so they're meeting a lot of dogs all you're doing is increasing your chances of your dog falling into one of those two categories right because if they're either best case scenario going to want to be best friends with every dog and you're going to be that person with a dog barking on the end of the lead that's frustrated that they can't meet the other dog and saying it's all right. He just wants to say hello. <laughs> or worst case scenario, your hypersocial puppy runs up and pulls the wrong dog in the face. They have an adverse experience by getting a nip or by, like you, like you kind of suggested. And then they're suddenly they're fearful of dogs. So what's the right answer? <laughs> there is no right answer. There but but right minimal, answer. like minimal controlled exposure, I suppose. Yeah. And as, as, as neutral to marginally positive as possible but then that's incredibly hard to define yeah, very so difficult like with obviously our dogs sometimes I like them to completely ignore dogs and they yep. will but that's only because of time one of my dogs is fearfully aggressive yeah or unsure aggressive I would say yeah. I don't think she's necessarily scared uncertain aggressive but yeah. her way of dealing with the unknown is yeah. be reactive yeah which is what you were saying if they're undercooked a little bit. I think a lot of people find it hard to get their head around the fact that you can cause these problems by overexposure. Yeah. And really, really struggle with it. And to be fair, I probably did until you explained it in a very lovely way. Probably not. No, it was. It was good. Was it lovely or yeah. was it abrupt and to the point? And it was abrupt and to the point, but that's abrupt. how I like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It works. So, yeah. Different <laughs> things work for different people. So, And it's the same with puppies. So... The reason we don't do puppy classes is because if we might have six dogs in that class and we get rang every single day 
can my dog come to puppy classes? And we say, we don't do puppy classes. And they hang the phone up, right? <laughs> but the reason we don't is because there might be six dogs in that class. And those six dogs need different levels or yeah, yeah, yeah. avenues of socialization to get the optimal result when they come into adolescence. Now, the whippet in the corner that's shaking like a leaf does not need that black Labrador to come up and pour him in the face. <laughs> because of later on down the line, that whippet is going to react in order to create distance from that black Labrador because the last time he met a black Labrador, he pulled him in the face. Now, that black Labrador that's running around, pouring everyone in the face and having the time of his life, well, that's what he's practicing. He's going to practice how to be a total... Whopper? Whopper. Yeah, we'll call him a whopper. <laughs> Being explicitly told we can't swear today. <laughs> a whopper and he's going to come out of that class a hyper-social dog feel, thinking it's great and every time he sees another dog he's going to be a Royal Rumble now each so for that dog I'd say well he needs his neck wound in and he needs to do a lot of engagement work with the handler and then for the whippet he should meet one of our dogs Blue or Ranger or Tove so he can have yep. a nice controlled calm not where someone's going to pile over him but when we say we don't do puppy classes to people they go, oh, right, okay, well, that's what I want to do. That's, that's what normal. I have to do. Yeah. But I would argue that puppy classes would only be beneficial for about one in ten dogs. The other nine, you, your dog's going to come out worse than they're probably when they started because they're either going to become more fearful of dogs or they're going to learn to ignore you in the presence of other dogs. Yeah. I, I suppose the, the issue sure, with but... it is you don't, it's not, it doesn't happen acutely. No. So your dog doesn't become either way of, that you wouldn't want them to within that moment so you might first class oh yeah they really loved it first class oh yeah really loved it by the time you get to the end of your block of classes it talks a bit of a whopper when I take it to Randy Park So, yeah. you, but it doesn't happen acutely so it's not like oh this is what did it yeah. it's just kind of an, a, an extended exposure yeah. to that environment it's seeds that are planted seeds, seeds that are planted and then uh, what do seeds do they germinate bloom. germinate, they germinate. <laughs> Is that the thing? They flounder. Flounder. <laughs> is they that flounder. <laughs> it's a fish. <laughs> a fish is a flounder, but yeah, they fl you can flounder around. But that's kind of like a. It's they like mint. Flourish. Mo Seeds yeah, flourish. don't flourish. Flowers flourish. Seeds. At some point flourish. So sure you germinate. sow your seeds. Yeah, but once the seed is sown, we'll all then it's germinated. Bullshit. Right, okay. <laughs> Leave it in. Right, we'll move on. There is no on. Oh, no, there is. There is. There is. Are we going? Enough of the seeds. So last question. You said you'd save this one for later because it's a biggie. It's a biggie. Um, a lot a of our qu questions that were given to us were about this topic. Right. Sorry I'll, I'll term it in the terms of the specifics of this one. Okay. 16-week-old um, cockapoo. Yep. Bite. Mostly the lady's daughter. Intentionally going for, for no reason sometimes or what would appear to be no reason perhaps. Um, other times it's because the daughter tries to stroke or interact play with the dog it's like the dog hates her how should they react to it to stop it happening we do use the cage or crate for timeout, and she calms down but it makes no real difference I assume that means that when she gets back out she just cracks on with the biting yep. uh, it, so it does look like it's become habitual Biting the daughter has brought about reinforcement. This has probably started because of children, more animated, louder. They flail their hands around. When we watch you play with your dogs, you run around like a toddler. Yeah, and that gets the most out of them. Um, so that's probably why she has started biting. Yep. 
Why she's still biting, maybe a different story, but it does sound like it's been habitual. In this case, you need to take a step back. I would suggest that if you want the your daughter and your dog to be cohesive to one another, they need to... And I mean, no, no, no disrespect by this next comment, but they need to be tre- like littermates. You know, they shouldn't be kind of freely yep. interacting with each other. I know that might seem counterintuitive initially, because if you want your dog to want to interact with your daughter, you want your dog, you want your daughter to interact with your dog. But chances are, they've got off on the wrong foot. Your daughter has probably picked the dog up in a way she doesn't like. Is stroking her in a way she doesn't like. I know kids. Kids are terrible around dogs. People think kids and dogs are a really good idea. They're probably not the best idea. Um, I don't know what their kind of interactions on a day-to-day basis are looking like. There is a there is either your daughter is annoyed or kind of given the dog an averse experience at one point, or your dog is just finding there is fun in biting your daughter. When it comes to puppy biting, a little bit like socialization, every case is different because we have to figure out why is the puppy biting. More often than not, though, when people bring us a puppy and they're overly biting, we are reinforcing that behavior. Uh, Worst case scenario, you're giving the dog a toy and things like that. You're flailing your hands around. I don't like the crossing arms and turning the back method because I think that creates something the dog really wants. So if I snatch a toy off my dog and we're playing with each other, I'll turn my back on him and kind of run away from him. And he'll go, oh, I really want that. Stop trying to keep that. So I don't really like that method. A lot of the time, I can't give the definite answer in this context. A lot of the time, the puppy is overtired. Uh, They're underrested. We are unintentionally reinforcing the behavior by flailing around, doing the high-pitched squeal and things like this. Some puppies are just having fun biting and some puppies are having fun hurting you. People don't like to admit that, but if you go and say then, ouch, or do whatever you want to be doing in that moment, because that's what you've read online, there could be an element of reinforcement there. The irony of this is when we take puppies on residential and people wanting us to help their dogs in their critical learning period, we don't ever have to acutely deal with the puppy biting because of the puppy is either crated and sleeping. They can't bite you when they're sleeping. They are brought out. They are playing with a toy because if we have started a game and they are on a house line so if they did try anything on we can immediately stop it in the moment or they're on a walk or they're eating or they're doing a food-based activity i don't think i think people give their puppy too much freedom the puppy realizes that biting humans or putting teeth on human skin is fun and it brings around a response People always saying to us their puppy has a mad hour at seven o'clock and that's usually where people are sat on the sofa ignoring their dog and the puppy runs around thinking, what could I do? Oh, I know what works. Biting. I'm going to go and I'm going to bite some socks and I'm going to bite some. And then we try and push the puppy off and things like that and all the things that would reinforce a puppy and then it becomes habitual. So uh, the answer here is, uh, right, the puppy and daughter need to learn to ignore each other, put a house line on, use your crate, have a firm word with your daughter saying to leave your poor puppy alone and then uh, reassess it two months down the line. So that would be my best guess on that one. It's only a short question. Um, any thoughts? Comprehensive. Again. Again. Lovely. Yeah. That's probably about... That's probably about it. I think we've covered all the main puppy questions biting and feeding and crate and things like that or the most popular ones we had like i said we had more 
specific ones that probably won't justify me yeah. waffling on for 45 minutes. <laughs> Does anything? No, probably not. So, well, yeah, I think that's golden, our first golden. podcast ticked off. Hopefully we'll get better. Uh, we'd just like to thank our sponsor, <laughs> Poppy's Potting Shed, the best leaves in Leeds. Give us this plant here. It is P. P. Diddy, Diddy, the, the Peace, Peace Lily. <laughs> so, yeah, go check her out. She's on Instagram. She's very vocal on there. Loves posting about herself. Um, you literally have to skip <laughs> even the dog's named after a plant even the a dog is named after a plant so yeah bring her in give it to big jacob that has and here it? is our little project fern the french bulldog so you're going to see lots of material and footage and training tutorials with this little one but yes yeah, she's only nine weeks old now and she's doing great aren't you yeah so thank you for tuning in thank you for listening thus far was that directed at me i like to listen to you. <laughs> and um oh, oh oh yeah and yeah we'll catch you next time where we're going to look at reactivity, reactivity. the most popular topic requested so yeah, it'll be a good one. Bye.